Right. Hello, and welcome to the Middle East Forum speaker webinar series and podcast. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Todd Benzman, a writing fellow here at the Middle East Forum and senior national security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies, join us to discuss jihadis infiltrate Texas. Mr. Benzman will speak for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Mr. Todd Benzman. Okay, well, first of all, I appreciate you having me uh, and um, we'll uh, try to put a lot of information into a short span of time and open it for questioning. This is by nature a controversial border topic. Uh, people on different sides of the aisle uh, disagree as to whether it's even a, an issue, uh, but, but it is an issue. Uh, we do have mass migration happening now at the southern border to an extent that the United States has never before experienced. And most of those people who are coming are going to be Central Americans and um, Mexicans, but uh, probably the largest percentage that we've ever seen come to the border are not from Central America or Mexico. They're from all over the world maybe 130, 140 different countries, including all of those countries in the Middle East and North Africa and South Asia that we uh, note are associated with terrorist organization activity and uh, with extremist ideology permeating through all of their institutions of government and education, et cetera. And so we do have a, a, a increased number of people, migrants coming to the southern border from those countries right now to the tune of about 30 percent uh, are not Central Americans and Mexico Mexicans. They're from all over the, the rest of the world. What we know about the, the threat issue is limited because most of that is in the classified realms. Uh, it's in law enforcement sensitive uh, places and confidential and protected, but we were lucky to have glimpses uh, that tell us who's coming and what relative kind of threat level that they, that they present, especially in the context of a crisis of this magnitude where we've had close to two, well, probably uh, close to 3 million now immigrants actually uh, attempt to cross the border just since Joe Biden took office. Um, I draw your attention to the former chief border patrol agent, Rodney Scott. Uh, in a very recent public conference, he revealed that in his last year in office under Trump, that he knows of 14 migrants who were already on the FBI's terrorism watch list, reached the southern border, and were apprehended. Uh, that is probably not taking into account a number of other migrants uh, who would have been on the terror watch list or, or maybe even should have been on the terror watch list who were apprehended by Mexico, in Mexico, or even in Costa Rica, Panama, and Colombia on the trails uh, coming through. It's a very long trail that uh, reaches all the way into South America, which is where they first arrive and then start making their way north. 
We don't know a whole lot about the 14 that uh, Scott talked about, but we do know something about some of them. Uh, and I've done my best to report uh, what I can about those. Uh, most recently, for example, we saw a Venezuelan, Lebanese-born Venezuelan cross from Matamoros to Brownsville, Texas, swam the Rio Grande and was apprehended and claimed asylum. And typically what happens in that case is the FBI is called in when they hit on the FBI's terrorism watch list as this individual did. Uh, that individual though, after the FBI assessed his relative threat uh, as high enough that they thought he warranted continued detention, uh, they thought he was a flight risk. The ICE office uh, headquarters in Washington ordered his release anyway over their objections um, inexplicably. Uh, I don't have an explanation for this, but uh, we know a little bit about this, uh, about why from some other reporting, which is that this Lebanese-born Venezuelan was on the watch list uh, for with extremely uh, derogatory intelligence about him. Uh, nothing specific about what that derogatory intelligence was, but that the administration ordered him released anyway because they uh, thought that he was at, at advanced risk of catching COVID. That individual has moved on to Detroit uh, where he is pursuing an asylum claim. He's free. Uh, I do believe he may have an electronic monitor. Um, we know about this case because uh, there's an, a journalist, former New York Times journalist working up there for kind of an obscure uh, Detroit area publication who was leaked the information, some uh, sensitive, I don't believe they were, it was classified documents, but it was definitely protected sensitive material, uh, law enforcement sensitive, uh, that, that somebody leaked him because they were so concerned about this case and why he was released and why there was intervention on his behalf that uh, they wanted it publicized. And so it was. Uh, Charlie LaDuff is the reporter. Uh, he hasn't reported too much more, but he and I are in contact. I've stayed in touch with him. He has interviewed this individual. They don't know why he's on the watch list. They don't understand where this is all coming from, et cetera. Uh, so that is still in play. That case is still in play. Uh, we also know that, uh, and uh, as I've reported, that in 2021, there were a number of other migrants who reached the border who were on the terror watch list. Uh, one was a Yemeni who was apprehended in Calexico, California in January, it was about one year ago, uh, who was on the FBI's terrorism watch list. And then two months later in the same area, another FBI watch listed Yemeni crossed the border there and was apprehended, luckily. And that one was a little bit different because he also was on the no-fly list, which indicates a higher uh, a perceived threat to uh, put him at a higher threshold to get on the no-fly list. Uh, and he was hiding a SIM card in the boot, in the sole of his boot uh, as well. And 
there's not a lot more information about either one of those Yemenis, uh, but but we do know that uh, quite a few other Yemenis who were on the terror watch list have crossed that border in the last couple of years. There were others that crossed in the Del Rio sector from Yemen. Uh, we have some kind of a Yemen problem uh, at the border right now. Part of this may have something to do with the fact that there's a civil war going on and we have assets. America has assets uh, in the vicinity, intelligence assets, and working with the Saudis about you know who's who and who's doing what, and we were able to access maybe Saudi intelligence information and and get people on that watch list. Uh, but uh, remember that a lot of other people from the same region might not be on these watch lists when they cross the southern border. The other thing that I wanted to mention here is you know a, a concern, which is that when the border control systems like this are under stress, like they are now, regular border patrol agents and ICE intelligence people and FBI are just overwhelmed and swamped by the sheer volume. Uh, again, you know, the greatest number in recorded American history, migrants hitting that border, crossing the border, uh, running, uh, some are being let in, others are being sent back. And it's just uh, as crazy on the Mexican side as well. I've spent a lot of time in Mexico uh, interviewing migrants and officials down there, and it's just as crazy there. And when you have that kind of swamping, overwhelming you know, collapse, frankly, of regular border patrol uh, and intelligence systems, then I believe that the, uh, that the threat level rises, that it's uh, uh, more elevated, that things happen like the Venezuelan Lebanese release. That normally would never have happened. The, the systems that are in place require that when we catch somebody on the FBI's terror watch list, we deport them. We, we get as much as we can from them, but then we will uh, remove them to uh, other countries where uh, they are either released or they go into custody uh, of local authorities. That didn't happen in this case, which indicates to me that something is really wrong. Uh, ICE and the FBI, nobody is talking about this case or the leak of those documents to Charlie LaDuff. But there was another case that also happened recently, but this one was on the Mexican side that gives me pause and uh, really makes me concerned and has me kind of crossing my fingers, frankly, is that a Yemeni was apprehended down there in actually on the northern border with Texas in the Mexican town of Piedras Negras in April of 2021. So a little bit less than a year ago. And we work very closely, our American counterparts in the Mexican or intelligence agencies, the FBI work very closely with the Mexicans so that they can run the databases through us and then we can get, tell them that they've got a hit. Well, that happened in April. And normally, you know, we will interview those people in Mexican detention, we'll spend time, we'll pull whatever intel, we'll assess how dangerous they are, and then we'll ask the Mexicans to deport. They did. They deported that Yemeni uh, in uh, June, or uh, I'm sorry, in uh, April, the same month. But the Mexican 
officials that went with him on the flight back to Yemen left him in a European transit country uh, and came back to Mexico and the Yemeni just got off the plane and returned to Mexico where they caught him yet again in Northern Mexico in July uh, last summer. And this time they kept him in detention a very, very crowded July was probably the busiest month in on any record for immigration through Mexico and reaching our southern border. Uh, but that particular Yemeni was held for a while and then they just let him go into the country of Mexico with the honor system requirement that he self-report voluntarily to Mexican immigration once a week. Uh, you can imagine what happened then. He never showed up again and uh, be on the lookout, went out to American intelligence and border patrol agents in the Del Rio sector that this, that this Yemeni on the watch list was free and running around and to be on the lookout for him. That's how I know about this case. I wrote about this case because that bolo was shared with me and all of that information is, is in there. Uh, I, I don't have an update. I don't know if they ever caught him, if he got through. There are a lot of runners coming through and this just sort of underscores my concern about what's happening at the border that, that something like, like that happened uh, in Mexico would never have happened. They would have deported that guy again and made sure this time he got all the way to Yemen, uh, preferably with the Saudis, uh, not the Houthis, and that um, something is awry down there and, and probably will continue to be awry uh, as we go forward. I don't believe that the, the risk of terror attack prior to this was really elevated. Uh, we have these programs, I write about it at length in America's Covert Border War, that have done a really good job normally uh, in normal times <clears throat> of catching probably about 20 uh, people on the uh, FBI's terrorism watch list a year, either on the trails coming in or at the southern border. That's a pretty good, that's, that's good that they're catching, that they catch them and they, they deport most of them, uh, either from Mexico or, or, or from our own detention facilities after we're finished with them. And that's sort of the way we deal with that. But I'm hearing that our normal processes are not, no, are not being carried out anymore. I still have intelligence sources, uh, people who are in the community, uh, one of whom told me recently that, that our intelligence cadre that we had in Southern Mexico since the Obama administration, really, the late uh, second term of the Obama administration where we were interviewing migrants from the Middle East that were coming into Southern Mexico before they could get any further. Uh, we did hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of interviews in those detention facilities, Mexican down there. Uh, and I was told very recently by a, a very good source who's on the ground in, uh, in the intelligence community that the Biden administration has pulled all of those officers out and they are no longer doing any uh, interviews inside Mexico. And I'm hearing similar uh, reports about our presence in Panama, which is another very important bottleneck spot where migrants from those Middle Eastern places are coming through 
uh, on their way here. So uh, with that, I can, I, I didn't keep track, but I think I'm at about uh, 15 minutes here and I, I can be happy to take any kind of questions. Absolutely, thank you so much. So we have a few questions coming in. The first one, uh, just in general, about how many migrants actually do get through the border uh, that are on the FBI terrorist watch list? Well, of course, we, we don't know the answer to that because we that's like the hardest question of all to answer because you don't know what you don't know. Uh, I can tell you, though, that we we're having about 100, we're, we're apprehending, laying hands on about 107, about 180 to 200,000 migrants every month, 50,000 a week at the border. Uh, most of them are uh, being turned back to Mexico, which takes time and effort and resources, uh, but a very significant, maybe about 40% are being allowed in and processed in. But in addition to that, say, 180, 90,000 a month, there are probably about uh, 30 to 50,000 that are called gotaways. That's an official nomenclature. Uh, we, they saw footprints in the sand or a video from the air and nobody caught anybody. So they get, caught, they get tagged as a gotaway. And we probably have had half a million uh, gotaways in the last year uh, since the, in the Biden administration. And that's an undercount I've seen other CBP officials put that number at closer to a million, a million and a half uh, who got through and we're just not even counting. We're undercounting the gotaways. And, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time on the border and I spent a lot of time in Mexico. And what we're seeing a lot of right now is uh, what we, what, what are called runners, where migrants are sneaking in and instead of turning themselves into the border patrol to get processed in. They are doing everything they can by hook or by crook. They're in tractor trailer rigs, they're in vehicles and cabs uh, and, and they're on foot and they are just running, hiding, sprinting, uh, just all over the place, bailouts and vehicles. And uh, they're not catching them all. They, they'll tell you, Border Patrol will tell you that they, they just can't catch them all. Uh, and that's a real concern in this kind of a crisis. We don't really know who is among those people? And uh, we have to hope that somebody somewhere in a year or two before anybody does something catches them in Indiana or, you know, finds them somewhere. Interesting. Thank you. And it's to your last point. Uh, we have multiple questions on that. Robert Slater and Ira Berkowitz ask, can you offer any insight to the Biden administration's a decision to end the former program of interviewing detainees in Mexico. And Robert Slayer asks, uh, who is gaining from this? No, I don't. I just, I was just told that they were ordered out of uh, Tapachula. That's where they were mostly based, uh, being run out of the Mexico City Embassy. And uh, I, the only thing I can, I mean, it's speculative on my part, but but I, I do know that resources are so stretched, uh, you know, ICE and FBI and um, Border Patrol Intelligence, CBP Office of Intelligence, that they are being redeployed to the border, to detention centers, to just help manage the flow, this huge flow that's going on down there. Uh, it also could be that, you know, 
the Biden people don't regard this as a real threat. Uh, and, and that uh, it's just not needed, that this is just harassing, you know, Muslim immigrants because they're Muslim. Uh, so, uh, you know, we hear things like that from, from that side of the uh, democratic tent, you know, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's what it is, you know, that's, we're not, we're not going to be bothering, you know, Muslims, they're fleeing terrorists, not terrorists themselves. So an anonymous attendee follows up on that. Uh, did Biden not make an oath to protect and defend the laws of the United States? At what point does this become treasonous? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, when one of these guys gets through and conducts an attack and there's there's blood in the streets, uh, then inquiries, actual inquiries will begin about who did what, when, and you know, you'll have the solemn oath in front of congressional uh, inquiries and that sort of thing. But until then, you know, it's it's just Homeland Security types uh, worrying about this uh, because they're paid to do that. That's what they do. Thank you. Uh, David Levine asks, it's clear that the Biden's White House has no intention of cutting back the hordes on our southern border. What other legal options to stem the flow currently exist through the courts or on the part of individual states? Honestly, you know, my feeling about that is, is especially now when, you know, Republicans are in the minority in both the House and Senate, but especially the House that, uh, you know, these are levers of power uh, on immigration policy that, that mainly reside in the White House. That's just the way it is. Uh, so there's really not a whole lot that can be done legislatively uh, there are congressmen and women who, uh, you know, are trying to make the best of their, their pulpits to, you know, bring awareness and they're putting in letters requesting information and all the rest. But I mean, ultimately, it's a White House thing. Um, so they'll have to wait until the midterm elections if they want to be able to even hold hearings. Uh, I recently was invited to testify uh, at a hearing, but it was an unsanctioned hearing put on by the House Republican Freedom Caucus off campus. Pelosi wouldn't let them even hold a hearing about the border. They, they, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to know about it. Interesting. Um, so Mike asks, what can we do as citizens to protect new cells from being formed by illegal migrants? You know, again, uh, you can make your voice heard. You can, uh, you can, um, you know, spread uh, accurate information when it becomes available. You can vote. You can get involved in campaigns. But this is an issue that, you know, again, uh, the lever resides in the White House as, as to whether or not the gate opens or closes, essentially, uh, and whether there'll be enforcement or not enforcement and that sort of thing. Now, the state of Texas is taking action and spending very significant uh, state taxpayer money, but in terms of halting illegal immigration, the flow, very limited uh, because you can't really, or they just decided that they can't apprehend illegal immigrants in Texas and bring them to the Mexicans because they don't, they perceive that they don't have the authority to bring them to the Mexicans, only the federal government can have a diplomatic relationship with 
the Mexicans, you'd have to somehow get past CBP's bridge uh, controls. Uh, so, so that's an issue. Uh, but what the Texas, what the State Department of Public Safety is doing is, you know, they're getting creative. They are bringing National Guard in and DPS in force troopers and onto private land and they're arresting immigrants for trespassing and bringing charges, trespass state trespassing charges and putting them through prosecution, which is not good for your future asylum claim. Uh, but, you know, again, it's limited to private lands where the landowners have agreed. Uh, they're building kind of a steel fence down there uh, with state money. They're doing what they can and they're chasing down a lot of drug traffickers and uh, grabbing a lot of drugs, which is something that's really important as Border Patrol is transferred to Walmart welcoming duty elsewhere. So we've spoken about the, the Biden administration and the role there, uh, but you also mentioned that the Venezuelan that crossed was released due to COVID. How has COVID had an effect on, on this process? Well, the administration feels like it can only, uh, that it has to reduce detention facility capacity in order to protect for COVID and also to keep those people that they do detain, which is, by the way, a very, very reduced number uh, anyway, uh, that they keep those people protected from catching COVID. So there's a lot of very quick releases. They're moving them through very quickly, uh, the ones that are even detained. Um, mostly they uh, catch the migrants and the ones that they decide they're going to let, usually family units and unaccompanied minors, to the tune of about 800,000 in the last year that they are just letting right through under something called parole. It's a misuse of, of, of an authority that's in the INA that allows them to that in their view to release mass numbers of people into the interior on a notice to report, which is an honor system. Pick your city that you wanna to go to, we'll, we'll help you get on the buses and we'll have nonprofits help you get on airplanes. And you can go anywhere in the United States you want, just self-report to the nearest immigration center when you get around to it uh, sometime in the next year. Uh, and so, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are being very swiftly moved through from, from river to city across the country by bus, plane, airplane, everything. Um, so, so there's not a, a huge need for detention uh, facilities. Uh, the Middle Easterners and Bangladeshis and people from uh, Muslim majority countries, I am hoping that they are at least detaining them uh, so that they can be put through the normal national security paces that I describe in my book, uh, America's Covert Border War, uh, for to at least get a get a get to a square one about who they are and whether they're going to flag on on a, a watch list or something like that. But I honestly not even sure that that's happening anymore. We we just had five Syrians apprehended. We've had Afghans caught. Uh, Afghanis are coming uh, all the way through uh, South America and they're reaching California, Texas, and they're coming through too. And they just say, my name is Mickey Mouse and 
I claim asylum and, you know, we have to start from scratch. We don't know who these people are. That's a problem. Absolutely. And for our viewers, we do have a link to Mr. Benzman's book, Mr. Benzman's book in uh, the, the invitation that went out. Uh, Ira Berkowitz asks, is it known if any of the released detainees from Middle East, North Africa have been known to rendezvous and congregate within the United States once they're here? I mean, over the years, we've had we've had a number of prosecutions of Somalis and Lebanese, especially Somalis, uh, on terrorism charges. And uh, what, we had one Somali cross through California and, and make his way to Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and conduct a, um, a multiple vehicle ramming attack carrying an ISIS flag in 2017. Uh, we know that there are communities of Somalis we have we've had Somalis uh, you know who were clear-cut associated with al-shabaab they they were they fought with al-shabaab the terrorist organization that's uh, controls territory in uh, Somalia and also you know uh, roams significantly in the refugee camps in uh, Kenya uh, but but to the extent that um, they congregated, uh, we, we can only assume that, you know, Somali uh, diaspora communities were working with some of those Somalis that were apprehended. Uh, I can think of one named Fidsi, another one named Dakani. I've written about these cases quite a bit, uh, who were bona fide uh, terrorists and uh, were, were prosecuted for asylum fraud and obstructing terrorism investigations and you know they they gain support and uh they 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 communicate with people in the somali diaspora here they have they did and another one was um a lebanese by the name of korani this one's a little bit dated it was from the uh, mid-2000s and they drove him over the California border in the trunk of a car, and he was a Hezbollah operative, full on. His whole family was uh, high-ranking Lebanese uh, Hezbollah officials, and they sent him in, trained to collect intelligence and explosives and cash. Uh, and they luckily were able to apprehend him and prosecute him. He spent four or five years in federal prison, and they deported him. Uh, and he was very involved in the Dearborn community of other Lebanese there. Uh, well, unfortunately, we've uh, reached the end of our webinar. Uh, could you please let our viewers know where we can find some more of your work? Sure. Well, um, all of my work is on my uh, personal website, which is toddbensman.com. But uh, you can also find a lot of my uh, immigration work at Center for Immigration Studies, which is cis.org. Uh, just look under my name uh, on, the, on the site and you'll find all my writings going back three and a half years or so. Uh, I'm also mm -hmm. on uh, Getter social media, T, T. Benzman at Getter and Benzman Todd on uh, Twitter if anybody wants to look there. Wonderful, thank you so much. So we've come to the close of our webinar. Thank you again, Mr. Benzman for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks.
For our viewers, please join us Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for an update with Ashley Perry. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.